uh, and you know, we didn't even do a cold open or anything. Jeff, we're falling apart. And by I we, know. I, I'm <laughs> falling apart. It's really yeah. bad. Episode 25 of Drock, uh, the oh. monthly podcast where Jeff sighs and throws me off entirely. <laughs> Technically, that was a gasp, Graham. I was—I didn't realize it was our 25th episode. Holy smokes. It is. It's our 25th episode. Anyway, that's Jeff Lester, who is my co-host. I'm Graham McMillan. Hi. Jeff, say hi. Well, hello, everyone. <laughs> we are coming at you this time from Omari Douglas block. And we are talking about Case Files Volume 22, which is material from 1993 and 1994, specifically 2000 AD Progs 916 through 936 and Judge Dredd Magazine Volume 2, issues 69 through 80, mostly written by John Wagner this time. Mm -hmm. As Mm -hmm. we were literally just saying before I did this introduction, I kind of dug it and it sounded, Jeff, like you didn't. You know, I I was pretty meh about this uh about this volume because i thought most of the john wagner stuff was by and large uh disappointing and underwhelming so uh for me i'm like man it's amazing how much to yes oh no i'm I'm really curious about that because i read this a couple times and the first time i had that same feeling yes and the second time a couple of the longer running storylines worked so much better for me. Specifically, the voting plot, which opens it up, and the Exterminator, mm-hmm. the absolutely random time travel story, the Exterminator, worked so yes. much better for me second time around. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. to the point where it kind of saved the book, feels a bit extreme, but it's definitely mm-hmm. the high point book for me, the Exterminator. One of the things that it does, and one of the things that Wagner does in general, because we should also say there's a, a, a Grant Morrison, Mark Miller long running strip in here, mm. which is mints. But <laughs> one of the things that, that Wagner's doing that I find particularly interesting, and this is mainly noticeable in the 2000D strips as opposed to the magazine ones, is last episode we talked about how formulaic Dread was feeling. Mm-hmm. And I feel that the Wagner 2008 strips do not feel formulaic for the most part. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that yeah. the election one is very much a, a, a mythology story. It's very much a story about the larger dread world, but it doesn't feel like it is hewing to the same formula. And the exterminator obviously isn't. The exterminator, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. as the, the title kind of gives away, it's kind of a Terminator riff of all things. And yeah, mm-hmm. and is is you know incredibly unlike Judge Dredd's uh, formula, you know. Mm-hmm. And I I mm-hmm. really very much appreciated both those things. The the magazine mm-hmm. stories, which again are almost all Wagner. There's a couple of Cy Spencers in there. Are closer to formulaic, and and mm-hmm. when they're not, they're also just fucking weird. The Bill yes. Clinton one. What the fuck? Oh yeah. But, yeah, there, there's enough here that is odd or interesting mm-hmm. that it really uh, – it, it felt more enjoyable than the last volume, at least. 
if mm-hmm. not, ne- not necessarily successful. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm 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 much more in favor. But Jeff, tell me why I'm wrong. Oh, I don't I don't think that I don't think that you are wrong per se. Except I do feel that for whatever reason, the Wagner stuff um, felt like it did not deliver as much for me. Like there were points where um, the 2008, 2000 AD story stuff felt weirdly deflated and anticlimactic climactic. And, and there is, we're going to be talking about the exterminator a lot because I had, I was like spent the first time reading it being like, wow, why don't I like this as much, you know, and what, what's rubbing me wrong about this story and um, I have a lot of thoughts about it. Like I pretty much after thinking about it and revisiting it, I was like, oh, OK, well, this is going to be like a, the new gold standard for Graham telling me that I'm overthinking it too much. Oh, no, I'm whereas I'm really looking forward to that. I'm looking oh, okay. forward to it. Thank goodness. OK, because there, there is some stuff that I want to unpack in there. And then. For the uh, magazine, the majority of it ran the gamut between satisfying but not necessarily un- uh, sorry satisfying but relatively unexceptional John Wagner and John Wagner like all but metamorphosizing into Alan Grant. So it was uh, so that that was. On the one hand, depending on how I looked at it, I was like, oh, you know, there's a, there's a couple of things in there like Crash Diner or The Secret Life of Judge Powell or Terror with Mrs. Gunderson that closes it out that that I that I quite enjoyed. But I'm well aware is not ambitious. But for me, what's more interesting about the quote unquote ambitious stuff about the, the first half of the book from Wagner is literally what it's not doing i guess more than what it is and so that's going to be a lot for me to kind of unpack and then let's face it there's crusade sorry which i do oh, no, want to i there's, just there's crusade which do we want to just get crusade out of the out of the way first the the I... majority of the the non wagner 2018 material uh is yeah. crusade which is in 10 parts grant morrison mark miller written mick austin illustrated serial that is that makes the previous Grant Morrison Mark Miller story Book of the Dead seem great in in comparison. It's yeah. Yeah. it's Mark uh, Grant Morrison, let's face it, probably was Grant Morrison. Grant Morrison really liked the Batman of Many Nations storyline, thought I could mm-hmm. probably do that with Judge Dredd, but why don't I also have a weird someone went to space and met God and came back a monster subplot. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I mean, it is depending on how you look at it. It is Grant Morrison and Mark Miller looking at either Marvel's Secret Wars or even worse, Contest of Champions and going, how do we turn this into some easy cash? And the result of let's just have all the all the judges from the different cities like run around and beat each other into pudding in an abandoned Arctic base 
with for the hopes that they can receive the word of the space god is um uh yeah i mean like i said i'm like it's contest of champions with judge dread and a whole bunch of other judges and um yeah it really was the those those guys the crusade boils down to 11 parts of religion bad offensive ethnic stereotypes good and yeah it's a, it's shocking a weird message mm-hmm. it's shocking and also some of the quote-unquote twists are i mean impressively offensive <laughs> i think honestly if you use that phrase to miller and morrison they'd be like oh good then we succeeded yeah exactly. that's don't... what we're aiming for but mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. it's you know the sort of edgy that someone who has i don't know never existed in the real world believes is edgy <laughs> yeah very much so very much so uh so right so the the standout sort of character is what is the name of the uh of the Vatican City judge judge caesar or judge cesar i don't know c e s a r e there we go well the reason why i actually think that it's that i mean you know for one thing it's a pretty cool design and it makes it onto the cover of this volume of the case files uh judge cesar's little style and um there's elements where how do i put it like it's the thing that i think is interesting about crusade is that it very much feels from the alternate timeline of judge dread where pat mills yeah. continued to keep doing it you know what i yes. mean like it's it, a... it does it feels very much like mills writing judge dread as a superhero yeah very much so and so to the point where like you said the, you know in that batman of many nations type thing like this is the sort of story that that morrison and miller would be into which is a story that seems to take place in that Millsian timeline in which, again, there's all these other judges, everyone's a dick, uh, authority figures are all inherently uh, evil and awful and stupid, but not nearly as evil and awful and stupid as as a religious character is. So knowing how much that, that Mills himself in his... Um, uh, self-published material talks about the influence of his go you know going to a religious school um and seeing the 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 influence of the the fucked up priests on you know his interpretation of dread seeing judge cesar like make his big old appearance complete with like you know nemesis the warlock style cape and yes and pointiness yes. You know, Nemesis does is, feel like a, a influence here. Yeah, I think so. I mean, definitely. I although it did find I did find myself in some ways thinking like, wow, who could have really thought that that you know someone is going to do a strip that will make Pat Mills' depiction of Torquemada in uh, Nemesis the Warlock seem like refined and multifaceted. You know what I mean? Like, it really is kind of a weird... If I felt like doing the legwork on it, and I don't think that Crusade in in any way deserves that time and attention, 
it would be interesting to to dig through the old nemesis issues and kind of see because I did find myself being like, wow, how is it that 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 to me at least Mills's form of religious oppression seems a little more interesting uh, than what more we nuanced. get here. Yeah, and even a little more nuanced. And I think part of that is, again, you know, Miller and Morrison are way more into the idea of, you know, being, I was going to say being the South Park guys than being Pat Mills. But of course, I'm like, I think I think they actually predate South Park here, which is not necessarily anything to to pat themselves on the back about. But all of which is to say Mills has a commitment and even that commitment gives him a degree of um, willing to put in the work to try and create levels of shading and nuance in his um, in, in the passion of his histrionic screeds, I guess. Whereas this stuff is, like I said, this might as well have been Contest of Champions starring Judge Dredd, you know. It, it's and, what what's funny is and I don't want to spend a lot of time on this just because it is, I mean, honestly, shit. But mm-hmm. Miller has spoken many times about his faith. He repeatedly goes back to that well for material, mm-hmm. especially early in his career. You know, he had Savior from Trident way back when. He had Cannon Fodder, which was a 2008 strip that was, that was basically contemporaneous with this. Mm-hmm. Um, he had American Jesus later on for Miller World. And mm-hmm. for someone who... Uh, you know, I'll, I'll I'll take him at face value. For someone who is religious, it's kind of amazing how dull and and unnuanced his treatment mm-hmm. of faith in in comics is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, like like the Judge Sar is 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 a, a comedy villain. Like there, mm-hmm. there's no subtlety there at all, and and the the heel turn from. Judge, not Joyce, but whatever uh, Judge Wild, I think it is, right? The the, uh, mm-hmm. the Irish judge, yes, who's mm-hmm. like, I know, I believe the Pope, not the law. Like, is is similarly just, I don't know, like so unsubtle and and you know, like, well, of Catholic, of course he's, of course he's going to believe the the Pope over, over everything, right? It feels so honestly dull. <laughs> Well, see, that's like, it. How how yeah. can it be that bad? Well, and I think the answer is that it's it's almost always a mistake to to make take Mark Miller at face value. I think it is way more believable for Miller to like as he does with so much of stuff. Uh, assume that when he is talking about a fan of just about anything. Um, assumed that he's lying and he's aware that if he calls himself a fan, he can manage to not worry by, by about. Us. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. While being aware that, 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 you know, Miller as a guy who is always, well, not always, but a huge, huge chunk of his career. And it certainly seems as if 2000 AD falls under this, uh, this umbrella is interested in drawing the most attention to himself, you know, mm-hmm. like, and I feel that there is no easier way than getting in a couple of slap shots about religion 
you know, and being very aware of that and then is very quick to turn around and, you know, do some hand waving like, no, 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 I'm a I'm a dude of faith and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, like so for me, the disingenuousness is part of what um, I mean, honestly, uh, you know, Miller and Morrison seem far more versed in based on Crusade. Um, Thomas the Tank Engine rather than any sort of <laughs> religious doctrine. Like, at least they know Thomas the Tank Engine enough to give a creepy little riff on that, which they just cannot seem to do for about anything else in the storyline. So. But also, the, the larger plot of Crusade is just hilariously shit. A judge from Mega City 1 went into space and met God who transformed him into a monster, quote-unquote, and then mm. sent him back to Earth, but he essentially landed in no man's land, so it's a, a race for all of the judges to try and claim the monster? Question mark? Well, so, then... so right, yes. I mean, you're... You, Dude, you're you're telling the plot twist, you know, the, just the idea of you can take out the monster part, the idea that there's a judge who like encounters something in space, insists that it's God, comes back down to Antarctica and all of everyone's like, oh, we've got to get to him first. And we agree that the only way to essentially do this is for everyone to send. Yeah, essentially, right? You know, or again, contest of champions. We'll just have everyone show up, and whoever successfully beats the other one into putting the most gets to keep this guy. Like, I'm, I'm literally like that. Somehow manages to strike the tone between giving space astronaut god guy entirely too much attention, and yet not enough attention at the same time. Like you either ignore him or you declare World War Three. You don't basically be like, you know, it'd be great having a bunch of people running around uh, in an abandoned base and kicking one another in the slats, you know? Like, it's just dumb. To say nothing of the fact that you get Judge Ramses from City of the Dead showing up being like, ha-ha, Judge Dredd, I'm here to take my revenge on you. I'm like, wait. You mean that, like, when Judge Dredd went back to Egypt, like, there were no repercussions whatsoever for literally anyone or anything? I mean, I can sort of see that in that it was a shit story that everyone wants to pretend didn't happen, except here's Morrison and Miller being like, hey, remember this guy? I'm like... Time for the sequel. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm like, this brings up even more questions that you don't want asked of your story. You know? I, I mean... I, I guess maybe you want me to ask this as opposed to like, why is this so bad? I will say that one thing that I think is uh, uh, that I'm willing to give them some credit for, and it is very little credit indeed, is at least the story is a tries to go for a maximum amount of punching and setup. You know, like it's not successful high concept by any means but at least i'm like oh okay it's not dull i mean we have a whole story in here that is not as many parts as crusade but where basically it's 2000 ad decided that the new breakout character for their comic book line that they were going to have as a bat 
backdoor pilot in is Odin, the king of the Norse gods, and therefore gets a three-part launch episode that is the most boring thing ever. I'm like, okay, at least this has, you know, people being wiped into a paste and hitting one another with wrenches or trying to outrace magma. I mean, it's all terrible cliches, but I'm like, at least it sort of zips along. You know what I mean? Like, I'm like, by the time I got to the end of Crusade, I'm like, okay, I'm offended, but I can't, I, at no point was I necessarily that bored. I mean, I wasn't interested but, either. But that's just that, like, you're bored in the same way that you're bored from really shitty action film, which is to say, right. you're never engaged. You're never engaged during Crusade. There are lots of pyrotechnics. And I will say that my favorite part of Crusade is the crashing of the ship in the last chapter because I love the way that Mikkelsen makes it look. Yeah. The, the, oh, yeah. Like, it's actually gorgeous. It's a lovely piece of art. But Yeah, that was gorgeous. There is there's nothing interesting about the story. Mm-hmm. And, and in fact, it's so boring that the shock ending is shockingly cliche and so poorly done yeah. that you're like okay but they're taking the piss now right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right well and 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 i think that is that is the problem with morrison and, and miller here is they very much are um just just hacking out substandard work and then slapping it under a, a glaze of irony you know, so that you do be like, oh, oh, they they are taking the shit, aren't they? Uh, taking the piss. Sorry, didn't mean to screw up the. Uh, no, they the thing no, here. they can also take the shit. That's fine because oh, it's they? shit. Okay. It is shit. Um, yeah, I mean, again, part of me is like, eh, but it's a little action movie thing in itself. I I myself personally like the idea that this monster comes back and is still convinced that he's seen the face of God and his description of souls um endless fire of souls in ecstasy and i i i actually i i kind of like how much uh the undercurrent of the story is is that that we don't know if this person encountered god or the devil or an alien or it could all be the same thing but it is it is actually actively terrible that part I at least thought was sort of, um, and and I don't know why I think for me that sort of at least points to the edge of the frame where Morrison and Miller are kind of like yeah I mean it's to me it's very it's a very Morrisonian tick to point to um, all the better authors that he's read about this kind of stuff and allude mm-hmm. to it without actually having to do any of the hard work himself. And so yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, I kind of appreciate that, you know, because for me, I do want a little bit of cosmic horror in my, you know, secret war influence judge action figure punch him up. So <laughs> you know. uh, can we also before we move on, just talk about the fact that the design of the monster is 100 percent shitty Doctor Who from 1989. Uh, you know, I, I I have to say I was impressed at how much that particular figure Again, in the way that this felt like uh, an alternate timeline from Pat Mills's, you know, dread, 
that it felt like a bullshit ripoff of Marvel's uh, Man Thing with with maybe a little bit of shit from the Brood thrown in. So it's like jam the Brood brood teeth into uh, Man Thing, let him loose, and oh boy, you got yourself a soup. And uh, it was yeah, it was terrible. Crusade is 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 bad, but at least and believe me, I would have yoinked my own eyes out of my head for for those people who are about to hear me go on and on about Wagner's work here to lesser and greater degrees of frustration on my part it is still leagues ahead of crusade which really was it's 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 really there's something really amazing about Morrison and Miller uh doing Judge Dredd with a degree of cynicism that British authors normally reserve British comic writers normally reserve for the American heroes and Morrison and Miller for the most part are way more reverent of those. You know what I mean? Like they're just a weird, it's, it's like, um, it's like the alternating current and direct current to Garth Ennis. Like they just literally could not be more like there's going to be a horrific explosion you know, if they try to write a series, the three of them, because they're so inopposite in every way. I'm also kind of excited to talk about Escape from Kurt Russell, which pretty much does everything that Crusade wishes it could do. And, of course, also manages to be brief. Uh, I, but... it also manages Escape from Kurt Russell also manages to be the plot of the 2012 Dread film. I know, which was shocking to read. I was like, "Wow, this is this is dread. This is the raid. It's it's also uh, it's also an old Mister Miracle comic book, you know? Yeah, like yeah. it. It was kind of amazing that I was like, "Oh shit!" Like this thing really existed, and um, it's it's also you know, it's interesting how much I'm willing to give Escape from Kurt Russell a lot of leeway to do what it does that I'm not necessarily willing to give the exterminator, um, which in some ways I feel is trying to do so much of the same stuff or, or hits some of the same notes, but in, in a way that I think is either off or different. So, but yeah, escape from Kurt Russell, not so crazy about Paul Marshall's art, but I honestly thought the the idea of dread, um, more or less parachuting into a building to pull a crime boss out of it, and having to fight his way out of the building is, you know, if you liked if you like dread starring Carl, Carl Urban, you'll probably really like Escape from Kurt Russell, um, even though that it's a little bit more shorter and more concise and yeah. Um, you know, and and kind of has less to prove, and therefore is able to to do whatever the fuck it wants to greater success. Um, so, although I did want to ask you if you felt that there was, um, I feel there is maybe some weird, strange commentary going on with Escape from Kurt Russell that I'm sure you think will be me overthinking it or unfounded in that among other things do you, is is big frank supposed to be 
any kind of allusion to anything in, that I'm missing in 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 Brit culture at the time? I did not make a connection. So so the short version is maybe. The the reason why is I kind of thought between the big Frank and particularly, you know, that one page that I think is kind of lovely that's set up as a three by four grid of dread um basically blowing away a bunch of gang members. Uh is the I was wondering the extent to which Big Frank is might be a reference to Frank Miller. Um, and, and that escape from Kurt Russell is a little bit of a piss take about, about something. I can't figure out what it is. I've got, believe me, my thoughts about the exterminator are, you know, hopefully a little more profound than that. But I found myself being like, um, it's this super high drama story or, or, High octane, as the kids would say, uh, in which Dredd has to pull Big Frank out of the building. And there's all these various groups of gangs that are trying to stop him by hook or by crook. And then essentially the way that Dredd resolves it and survives and escapes feels like a real piss take of an ending. Did, did you think that as well or no? I'm not sure I would say it felt like a piss take. It definitely felt surprisingly quick like it yeah. felt like there was a lot of setup and then all of a sudden it was over yeah exactly um, i'm not sure i'd say it, it was felt like a piss take though like it felt like it ended um I'm trying to work out the difference between a piss take and a joke right because it's, it's clearly a comedy ending right it's a comedy it, ending exactly you know they, they basically get out because the lift bounces mm-hmm. you know but that like for for some reason that seems a joke but not a piss take because I'm not sure what it's a piss take of. Right. Well, so to me, I feel like more of a piss take on how do I put it? So as we've said, you know, here we're looking at uh, the genesis of dread. We're looking at the um, you know the raid, and and kind of we're we're looking at a two part Mister Miracle comic, you know. And essentially, Wagner, I guess to me, there's a little bit of a piss take is wrong and a joke isn't right either. But a little bit of that sort of impish, sort of punk uh, impatience or impertinence that Wagner and Grant used to have of like, okay, we're telling a story. You know what? We're bored. We're going to end it here. You know what I mean? Like the the there's no action movie on the planet that would ever end with the highly dramatic scene of them being attacked from all angles, trapped in an elevator, dread shoots the wires, and then basically it just yo-yos to the bottom because there's mm-hmm. springs at the bottom. You know what I mean? Like that's just that's like an ending out of a Bugs Bunny cartoon, which again, and I don't quite know how to put it, like that sort of feels like it might be the point in a way for Wagner. And I'm not sure how or why, you know? Yeah. I see Other... that's, that's the part where I, I, not that I think you're wrong, but like, that's the part mm-hmm. where it falls down for me because if that's the point, then what point is he making? Well, right. And you that's, know, like, that's the thing. Like, where, where does it go? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Well, I mean, in a way, sort of the name Escape from Kurt Russell, which is such a weirdly on the nose name as well. You know, I think I'll re- I'll return to this in Exterminator very heavily. But this is this is 1995. You know, Escape no, this from is New 1990. York. This is 1994. Is it like 94? Yeah, Escape from. New York came out, you know, what, a decade earlier? 82, 83? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And Escape from L.A. isn't out for another couple of years. Right, so, right. Like, it, again, we come back to the, is this one of these things where, uh, like, it just, he just saw it on television? Do you know what I mean? Right. Like, it's one of those things where you're just like, where, why? Why is right. he doing Escape from New York? Right, right. And I think this actually, to me, is a huge question to me at the core of The Exterminator. And question slash sense of frustration. But, so yeah, is it because, just as it used to be in the Wagner Grant days, you got the sense that it was playing on TV the night before? Or is it a, how do I put it, like... This is around the time, it's a few years later, but Frank Miller has done some RoboCop movies, you know, and and so you've got Frank Miller, who's a guy in comics who's gone on and, and essentially worked on two movies that, you know, are kind of Judge Dredd, you know, very heavily influenced yeah. by Dredd. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so you kind of get a... How do I put it? Like, if you take a comic book and you turn it into a movie, all you get is um, a ponderous set of tropes, cliches, and sequences that more or less have to be um, adhered to, right? And... If you take a movie and you turn it into a comic book, which is to say you, you, you yank the idea out, um, what you end up with can be for um, way more silly and stupid. And, um, you know, I think I, I you may remember like me having a degree of epiphanies during the course of the early volumes of of the Dread Case Files about the idea of like, oh no, Wagner and Grant are very specifically doing what they're doing on purpose. Like they're trying to strike specific tones for specific reasons, even when that reason is the importance of stuff being dumb. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like... Mm-hmm. There's a lot of, there's so much more comedy in Dread, thanks to Wagner and Grant, than you would expect. And one of the things that I think is funny is seeing how, needless to say, you know, the Carl Urban film Dread does not faithfully (laughs) adapt this story in that he doesn't shoot the elevator and then they cut boing, 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 boing until it stops and they come out on floor zero. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's not because that's, because that's ridiculous. And I do think that Wagner is trying to reserve a spirit of 
the ridiculousness as as important um <laughs> and and it's interesting to me that escape from la which is you know comes out a few years after this is way more ridiculous than escape from new york is um yeah yeah and uh, anyway, so part of me is like, it's kind of like, is this sort of John Wagner's a message for you, Rudy, you know, to Frank Miller, um, which is basically like, you know, you were better when you were doing comics because your comics were ridiculous. And I almost feel like it, it, that could be for me. I'm like, you know, if nothing else, I feel like Miller himself also ends up hearing and feeling that. You know? Yes, I, I think you can see that Miller, you know, the Miller of today, for example, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. honestly, the Miller of the last, what, 10 years longer. I mean, right. I mean, you know, even has, further. I, oh, in some respects, like, you know, you look at something like Dark Knight 2, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's very yes. comic in a way that, you know, a Sin City isn't, for example. See, whereas I was going to say, I know that you would, like, you're both, you're correct but you're also like there's early parts in sin city where he is like he's none of the cars actually touch the ground you know they're always flying through the air and there's a point where marv is like holding somebody's face to the asphalt while he drives and and there's all but sparks flying off the guy's face and it's it's really it is funny it's sin city is hugely over the top but it's also largely serious and like you said whereas when you get to something like the dark knight strikes back it's deeply the other way around and and honestly i mean you know this is the miller who with sinkevich has done electra assassin which is deeply deeply absurd like yeah yeah you know so so i do have that sense of like you said yeah, mm-hmm. he's also done uh, Martha Washington, which I think is more and more absurd. And, right. and is at its best when it's absurd. And But the reason I was saying, like, you know, the Miller of the last 10 years especially, you look at something like his most recent Dark Knight one-shot, like, feels like an em- embracing the absurd in a way that even his earlier superhero work didn't. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, well, I mean, for me, I definitely think that Miller... I think that Miller, so all of which is to say, if nothing else, I think I do wonder the extent to which Escape from Kurt Russell has other things going on in it. Um, And yet also wraps up in just, you know, a weird, goofy way that um, uh, that I thought was worth discussing before moving into the exterminator. Let's get the other stories out of the way. Yes. So in terms of 2008, there is the Candidates and Voting Day, which is three issues and essentially one story. There is The Big yep. Sleet, which Peter Hogan writes, Ross Dearsley and Dermot Power uh, draw from 2008 Prog 920, clearly a two or three part story that was published in one issue. Yeah. Uh, oh, thank you. Because yeah, it's, it's, it's clearly episodic in a way that, mm-hmm. you know. Some of the multi-parters aren't episodic, um, yes. And is is the the Odin like backdoor pilot that Jeff referenced, and is mm-hmm. sort of I mean again dull and very easy to gloss over because there's nothing there really. You know, it feels mm-hmm. like it came from a Christmas issue and had, mm-hmm. had was written to spec. We need something mm-hmm. about snow. Okay, you've got it. 
you right. know? Or, uh, or there's even, the... right. I, I'm sorry. I'm going to say, I'm like, I bet you're right. And that was supposed to be the big Christmas twist. Oh, he's not Santa. He's Odin. Ha, 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 There is the Exterminator, which we'll get to soon enough. There's Crusade, which we've just talked about. And it's terrible. There's Escape from Kurt Russell, which we just talked about as well. And that's it mm-hmm. for 2018 stories. Unusually, I would say we've traditionally gone, you know, there's the 2018 stories. Then there's the magazine stories. And there's a big difference between them. And I'm yeah. not sure that's necessarily true, this volume. No, uh, if anything, not, yeah. the magazine stories might be worse. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah. The magazine stories are Crash Diner, Fall of the House of Escher, and Very Cre- Creepy Christmas. Those last two are the Cy Spencer-written ones. Crash Diner is Wagner, and then Wagner writes the rest of them. Addiction, which is shockingly generic. I'm pretty sure this is the third time we've read a, their drug-running, oh no, it's only sugar and or tea story. The Strange right. Case Bill, Bill Clinton which is wacky as shit. Scar, which is notable only because Ashley Wood draws it, and Ashley Wood apparently could not draw in 1994. Poor Johnny, The Secret Life of Judge Pal, and Terror with Mrs. Gunderson. Yes. Um, Terror with Mrs. Gunderson in particular feels like a 2000 AD story. Mm-hmm. It, it, mm-hmm. It's, it feels so throwaway. And yeah. so, oddly enough, light Mm-hmm. and kind in a strange way oh, it feels like a 2000 story as opposed to the magazine yeah. stories which have tended to be self-consciously darker yeah you know yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and I think you can even see that in The Secret Life of Judge Pal which is basically someone killed the kiddie TV version of the judges uh, right. but even there you know there's the, the the kind of pointless but he's also like I mean was he drunk or high on something I can't remember he he is he is high on something and dressed up in a bat suit, like so. He is that they let you know. His whole thing is uh, Judge Powell, who is the the head uh, the affable children's host who leads the gang of child informers to to narc on everyone. In his spare time to relax, he basically gets ripped to his tits and jumps around in a Batman outfit. And unfortunately gets caught and um, uh, kidnapped by a group of thugs who intend to ransom him. Um, so, uh, yeah. But, but the judges are, like, the judges, no one are fine about it. Judge uh, Dredd especially mm-hmm. says that he knew when he's okay with it because it's worth it in the end. Which feels a very undread-like to, thing to say. And, and mm-hmm. coming from Wagner feels especially shocking, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but again, that feels really dark. Mm-hmm. Uh it, in a way that fits in with the self-conscious side of the, of the magazine. And Terror with Mrs. Gunderson doesn't. And and, and honestly, I think it's better for it. Oh, I, I actually liked the, the sort of niceness of Terror with Mrs. Gunderson. Um, oh, anyway, all, mm-hmm. all of the magazine stories, for the most part, are fine, question mark. They feel, <laughs> very, well, they feel very light. They feel very throwaway. Um, the Strange Case of Bill Clinton is arguably the most noteworthy one, and that's because it's so weird. Uh, well, I, I do. I do. I do want to say, because I apologize if you mentioned it and I missed it, but we should give a shout out. Follow the House of Escher and Very Creepy Christmas, written by Cy Spencer, who just recently passed. Yeah, this he did. Week. He, he passed away so, this week. Yeah, so it was a very strange experience for me to to actually have finished Fall of the House of Escher and then finding out that he 
died that same day. So just want to mention that. I have to say that of I didn't understand a very creepy Christmas at all. I don't understand what happened to in it. I don't understand what was I was going to ask you, is it common in the UK for uh, everyone to tell stories about a, a, a ghostly, creepy headed potato, potato head child? Who you, you mean a, able a blue, to... the, the famous blue Mekon? Yeah, uh, right. Yeah, no, it's uh, I just assumed it was one of those. Well, Christmas is the time for ghost stories. Mm-hmm. Things, to be honest with you. But it's so, it's done so poorly or unclearly i think is a, a nicer yeah, way of a, it. kind of a combo that, that, yeah that mm-hmm. it is actually difficult like i i i left it with the assumption that it was the the side judge was mm-hmm. either possessed and or releasing this subconscious demon to kill people mm. but it feels honestly it feels like a lead-in for a story that never happens right yes very much so which Honestly, I would have to say that uh, uh, almost half of these stories from the magazine do. Strange Case of Bill Clinton and Poor Johnny also feel very much like, hey, watch this space coming soon, you know, for things. Strange that... Case of Bill Clinton, especially. Yeah, like, exactly. With, with uh, uh, well, keep your eyes peeled. Yes, we should say the the plot of the strange case of Bill Clinton is that uh, Bill Clinton's mind uh, it possesses a, a criminal because the it turns out the criminal's mind has been cast back into Bill Clinton's body, and is about to start a nuclear war. Right? Question mark. Yeah. Uh, again, what 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 is happening there? It's. I it's mean, such it's such yeah. a strange thing. Yeah. I, I do have some theories, but I mean, you know, um, we can get to them or not. I do want to say, though, Graham, that this is a uh, certainly in the in the magazine, but also with the first half of of uh, the 2000 AD stories. Wagner has a huge emphasis in this volume of uh, people being possessed and replaced and their mind swapped out or them being taken over by, you know, parasites or space werewolves or, you know, uh, over eager fans or, you know what I mean? Like, it's a very strangely consistent through line, I thought, in this volume for his stuff. Even The Secret Life of Judge Powell ends with one character being told that he's going to have to literally undergo surgery and imitate. And replace. Yeah. And replace judge Powell because they can't afford to, to have that person basically disappear. He's too valuable. So there's a lot of stuff going, a lot of, uh, a lot of replacement anxiety going on here in this volume. Uh, is which, which a, normally yes. I try and talk you out of this, but I actually want to talk to you about this. Mm-hmm. Because I was wondering, you know from reading Thrill Power Overload that mm-hmm. Wagner was not especially a fan of what Mark Miller did to Robo Hunter. Mm. And I was wondering if Wagner basically came back to Dread not because he wanted to, but because he specifically didn't want Miller to take over the strip. Mm. That That is actually a great theory. Um, 
it it would certainly explain a certain number of things. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I I do think that there is that there's a lot of very strange anxieties going on here. Um, but yeah, that that would not surprise me. And of course, you know, if that is the case, honestly, thank you, John Wagner. After reading Mark Miller's various Judge Dredd stories. Thank you. I mean, separate and apart from the great stuff that you came back to do, even when it was is or isn't as necessarily as great as some of your other stuff, it's still so much better than the idea that we would be reading the third volume of Mark Miller scripted. Uh, but but that's files. just it, right? Because as someone who does on balance like this volume more than they dislike it. And I mm -hmm. do like the voting day stuff and I do like the exterminator stuff. Wagner seems to be spinning his wheels pretty dramatically in this volume. Mm -hmm. It's not only not inspired Wagner, especially in the magazine material, it feels like he's out of ideas. Mm -hmm. You know, it feels like he's recycling himself. It feels like he's repeating himself. Oh, very and much so. so yeah. it, it doesn't feel like, you know, it's it's not as if you could be like, well, Wagner was clearly excited to be back on Dread. It doesn't read like that at all. And in no. the previous volume with, with Wilderlands, it didn't feel like that either. So mm -hmm. I, I, like, I did get through this volume. And again, saying I liked it, but I did get through this thinking, did he do this because he felt like he needed to? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or, I, or ultimately, I... Did, did editorial get him back on because the Dread movies just about were in the corner? Well, is you know, the first Dread movie was ninety five, so they would have been probably filming it when the, the, the some of these were were published. Uh, okay, I was I was I am aware that, for example, the stuff that they talk about for two thousand AD. Oh yeah, you're right because I think I think looking at again throw power overload, like. Issue 950 might be the the first Stallone photo cover of Dread, and they really start trying to milk that sucker. So, yeah, it's right around the corner, which, again, is a very weird um, context for the Exterminator. Um, but I don't know. I mean, honestly, in a way, do you feel that that sheds any kind of light into the candidates and voting day in a way in which dread more or less ends up um, kind of not, but kind of going for head, like getting involved in politics and more or less running, not running for chief judge essentially as a spoiler candidate. Like, do you think yeah, it, that that... It, it, it does give a really interesting like, if my theory is right, if my theory is that he came back because he felt that he had to, the candidate suddenly becomes a really interesting story because Dread runs not because he wants to, but because he feels he has to. Yes, exactly. You know, and and, and is particularly unenthusiastic about it, but also gets engaged and doesn't isn't asked to. He volunteers to. Yes. You know, and... and and it, how much of that is autobiography? And if, if it is autobiography, what should we take of the end of the story? Mm -hmm. Right? Where he, where he doesn't win. And for that matter, he never seemed to expect to win. Right. No, you know, he literally he says pretty that. clearly says, like, it's, it was never going to be me. Yeah. So it, right. it's, 
it's a weird story about um you know the the a rejection of meritocracy almost because the the strip definitely thinks the dread is is the best and many characters also believe the dread is the best choice mm-hmm. but but because he doesn't play the game he doesn't win well i i mean what what to make of that then right what do you make of that then i mean i think that i think that those are all excellent points i i mean it's to me the waters get murkier because at no point does dread seem to want to win like at every point his going along with it seems to serve a a hidden agenda that or that that at certain points shifts like there's a certain point where someone starts reaching out and giving dread uh the dirt on other candidates and so he continues to campaign and run as a way to essentially yeah, he's basically working a case yeah he's he's more or less undercover as a as a political candidate but but at the same time it's also him and it's who it's what he's doing and the lead into him more or less being like yeah maybe i'll run you know happens before the candidates really starts like he's you know uh it's something that wagner has at the at the tie-up of the story when magruder leaves where people are like well so you know clearly you're not gonna run he's like not so fast you know so i do i do think like you said there is something that is there about someone who is gets involved with the politics of things to make sure that the best outcome happens, but really doesn't necessarily think for themselves even that that them winning would be the best outcome. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah, and, and, and yeah, and, but also he—it's not just that; it's that he 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 engages with the process, but only so far. Right. He engages with the process without believing in the process, I guess. Yes. Which in right. itself is fascinating because. Dread, in theory, supports democracy, right? right? But mm-hmm. he also doesn't believe in it. It's it's very, it's well, very strange. <laughs> and like you said, it it really does make more sense to me as you know Wagner's pretty complicated relationship with with 2000 AD at this point. You know, he co-creates Dread. He you know walks off the strip because he's not going to get you know, any of the participation promised in it, then comes back, you know, writes under a pseudonym, then comes back as himself working with with Grant, then continues to work on the character, keeps getting led back, dragged back through the magazine and everything. And so it seems to me that there is a, there is a, you know, Dredd's relatively complicated relationship here with the system you know seems to be like this is how the greater good gets served and similarly with wagner i think he is aware and it could be i could be wrong but honestly i it would not surprise me if wagner looking at the stuff that is coming out even and especially um garth ennis who you know wagner had more or less handpicked 
and being like, oh yeah, this this character is is not like I can't just leave them alone. Like I can't I have to protect this character, but by the same token, I also can't have my life completely destroyed by this character. You know, which I'm sure that the number of times that I, I suspect, although I could be wrong, that Wagner probably had someone sit down and gently try to feel, you know, if he'd have any interest in becoming the editor-in-chief of 2000 AD or, you know, having his experience trying to lead the magazine and launch the magazine where I believe he was <clears throat> editing, right? And then... He, and then, he was a consulting editor, I think, yeah. Yeah, and then more or less stepped away from that. Like, he's... The, I mean... He'd always had a, a relationship in editorial. He had been an editor and a writer before, but you know, there he knows what both are entailed, and so it is. It's maybe not a stretch for him to be like, "Yeah, I'm not an editor. I'm a writer." You know, dreads like I am not a policymaker. You know, I'm I'm a street cop. I'm a I'm a I'm a judge. I'm not the judge. You know. But Volt's great. I totally support Volt, which is so odd. Um, Graham McMillan, we got so much to do. Like we, do, oh. we don't. Like I feel like we've pretty much talked half the way through the book, if not more. Well, true, true. There is one thing I do want to add, which is I I did like Crash Diner. It is a very, very as as you pointed out, a lot of the stuff, particularly the magazine stuff, with the exception of Terror with Mrs. Gunderson, is pretty dark and crash diner is very much the sort of a very heavy eisner influenced uh spirit style story that focuses on you know uh, uh another one of mega city one's uh nebishes. but it is it it goes to some very dark places i think uh or rather just goes to a very dark place which is considering it's a supposed story about a guy who consents accidents and therefore makes his money by, um, you know, opening a diner and setting himself up whenever he senses a big accident's happening and the way in which the judges try to use him as an accident predictor and then more or less his strange fall from grace. I just... I really like the arc of that story and especially the grimness of the ending, which is him having had a, a, a near fatal accident that takes away his ability to foretell accidents, literally starts leaping into traffic to get himself hit by a car in the hopes that it will bring it back because it was his livelihood. Mm-hmm. That's pretty grim, you know, but, but, but done in the same humor like done in uh yeah i was gonna say wagnerian humor which makes it sound like so so grandiose but you know what i mean like indeed yeah it feels like uh it feels like old school wagner in a way that a lot of the material in this book doesn't right for better or worse right Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the the majority of the book i would say feels like lesser wagner than that but and again i know you disagree something like the exterminator doesn't feel like old school, but also I would argue doesn't necessarily feel like lesser. Well, you know, let's we've got to unpack it. The exterminator is such a weird strip. It's the exterminator very is so strange. weird. So yeah. it's an eight-part story set almost entirely in two thousand one New York. Yes, 
where Dread is the antagonist for all intents and purposes. Yeah. Where, it, it, as I said before, it's the Terminator. Dread has gone back in time to kill off certain people for the good of Mega City One. So basically, undo, surgically undo history yeah. to save people at Mega City One. That, however, is not revealed until maybe the fourth chapter. And also, even then, it's revealed via a caption. Yes. Explaining what's happened before. Before that, it had been implied and heavily implied, but it's never outright stated. And then all of a sudden, it's like a Dread is doing this caption. I like it because it feels very unlike Dread. Mm-hmm. And not just not just because Dread is basically absent in the first three chapters of this story. Mm-hmm. But it, the rhythm feels unlike Dread. It feels... Mm-hmm. It really does feel like a different story that Dread wanders into. You know, yes. which I appreciate. And... and Again, we had spent last episode talking about Dread being formulaic. And this is definitely a way to to break with that. Yes. Um, yes. Although yes. <laughs> I I am I am I'm I think that that is true, and yet it is also how do I put it? So the first time I read The Exterminator, there's a number of things that where I was like, man, I should really be digging this because, as you point out, it is it's a very atypical Dread strip. Dread is the antagonist. It's set in 2001, New York, October of 2001. And um, but because the story is written in 94, it's a it's such a weird mindfuck of a story to read from a historical context. Oh God, right. Cause he's very you know? optimistic about what's going to happen in those seven years. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and I think, how do I put it? That is, I think that's crucial. I think so. So my original problem is, is a basically that this is a, this is a dread story where some of the pop comes from, from the fact that Dread is in the story and is the antagonist. And yet also for me, I think um, does weird signaling that doesn't make any sense for me. There's also, I think, a few weird snafus in the art or editorial that um, can throw things off. For example, I, the very I definitely first... think there's editorial problems. I definitely think there's yeah. editorial problems. Yeah, so you've got the first chapter of The Exterminator, which takes place in 2001, is told from the view of a detective. Uh, You know, he and his partner are investigating a mysterious and horrific death in which someone has more or less had their entire body eaten away by an acid bath. And at the end of the story, you essentially see a mysterious intruder come in, kill a family, uh, throw them into the acid bath, and then the final panel reveal is that it's supposed to be a judge. I think you're supposed to be- believe that it's dread, but it's not done right. You know what I mean? Like you don't see his name badge. It's not the familiar dread angle. You're kind of like, is that supposed to be dread? I think it's supposed to be dread, and I don't know if that is was a deliberate choice, but if so, it was a bad one. Because I feel the shock is very much clearly that you see an innocent family killed and very much killed uh, again in a way that you were 
you know, you're led to see at the beginning of the chapter is a very painful looking form of death. And, and everything about the first chapter, in fact, has, uh, has very strong horror movie elements, very much in, uh, I, you know, what a lot of people would think of as, um, well, I think it's very strongly Italian giallo influenced, which is to say that it, you know, becomes the language of the slasher movie and the faux snuff movie that, that become prevalent in the eighties. Um, so the idea of seeing dread do that is depending on how you look at it, shocking, or to me, it's already kind of weirdly anticlimactic. You know what I mean? Like, oh, I see. I, I, for me, it was shocking is not the right word, but it was a mystery. Like mm-hmm. I, I did not feel like it was an anticlimax. In fact, if anything, I was relieved. It's not the right word, but it felt like an important element of the story because otherwise, you had a Judge Dredd chapter which didn't have Judge Dredd in it. Right. Well, right? and that's it. Again, it, it, part of like, me is like, yeah, made sense, mm-hmm. quote unquote. Right. But um, right. so I, I like, but I didn't. I, you're right. I think it is meant to be Dredd. I, I, mm-hmm. I later later in the story you discover there are other judges doing this too. Yes, and weirdly that weakens it for me. Right, it feels strong for me if the idea that it's literally just Dread doing all of this. Like I said before, I like the story. I like it because it places Dread as the antagonist. I like it because it's very much a break from the from the norm. But in placing Dread as the antagonist, Dread's activities. It feels genuinely odd to me that he is okay with doing the things that he's doing. Mm-hmm. It feels strange that because of the way Wagner approaches this, you don't have the narrative captions giving any interior life to Dredd at all. But Dredd is genuinely committing murder. And he is also, later in the story, when he when he, he drives through the riots, like he, he's, he's just letting all that happen. And mm-hmm. he seems passive in a way that is very unlike dread which i can appreciate in this story but like the wider dreadness of it all part of me is like mm-hmm. okay but why isn't he stopping it mm-hmm. you know we, we've previously seen wagner explicitly say that dread will do anything anything that he thinks is in service of mega city one which is what he's doing here. I think the thing that is problematic to me about the exterminator is there's a lot of stuff that sits oddly with it. And to me, a lot of that is, how do I put it? It, it, it feels like a story of missed opportunities time and time and time again, throughout almost all of the chapters up until sort of the, the last few where things kind of start to snap into focus in that you have dread. Uh, so to totally give away the story, which is important, I guess, to, to uh, discuss it. Um, this is not the order in which we find things out. As Graham points out, it's not until the third or fourth chapter. And again, in a sort of hastily, like, I, again, what seems like a bit of editorial interference, a, a caption explains that dread has come back in time to basically uh, stop a plague from uh, hitting Mega City One. 
that the gist of it is in 2001, in, in, as, as Wagner puts forward, the first um, commercial space flight to Mars has just happened. And the people in the course of their trip to Mars have encountered alien life, which is a dead alien body and a, paras- a parasite insect uh, inside the body that stings and attacks uh, all of the members of the crew and the ship, uh, the passengers. They uh, at first see weird swellings and signs, and then they seem fine by every reasonable standard. And so essentially everyone just uh, attributes it to a one-off. They are left to go about their business. A hundred years later, Mega City One is in the process of everyone getting ready to more or less die because the plague that has been planted, uh, th- these parasites from a hundred years ago, essentially were just assumed to be harmless and inert and therefore have more or less infected everyone, but now are in the process of metastasizing and um, uh, violently killing people in a destructive plague-like way. The only way that they can figure out to stop this is to send the judges back in time and essentially kill everyone from that maiden flight before they have a chance to infect everyone else um, such that the disease, the plague, never happens. Is that that's a fairly decent? No, no, yeah, that, that's just it. And so, in terms of the way the story unfolds, you do get the first three chapters of Dread killing people in two thousand one, and there are detectives right. investigating. And you know, as as both of us said, it's never explicitly stated what Dread is doing until there is a narrative caption at the start of the first episode that right. lays it out. Yeah, and that reveal is odd. I mean, you you're given. You're basically told that, but it's never explicitly said. And the narrative thing honestly feels like an editorial explanation, you know? Right. In addition right. to they said, going, no one's going to get this. It's one of a number of ways in which I think Wagner is being undercut in some ways in this. Mm-hmm. Or, or, you know, again, maybe he's undercutting himself. But there, there is... Mm-hmm. For all that I like the story and for all that I think the story is such a great break in routine and has incredible potential, you're right. Like it, it doesn't live up to that potential and it misses the marks in such ways that feel genuinely odd. Like it feels like it's missing a chapter, yeah. if nothing else. Towards the end, Dredd gets the virus and then magically the virus is undone for him because he got it from the future. But even that explanation feels weird. I, in, that, in the reading, believe that Dredd had gotten the virus from being around everyone who had the virus in twenty in twenty first century, you know, and so mm-hmm. with the, suddenly mm-hmm. he's healed. That rang false because I was like, "Oh, is that how?" Oh, I didn't realize that was how it happened. You know, there there felt like break, right. and it feels like there are these weird lapses in storytelling that editors mm-hmm. should have caught. This isn't the first time I said this. Editors should be mm-hmm. catching some of this stuff, or editors should be. I was going to say should be making things clearer, but you know, then you get the thing at the start of episode four where they make things too clear. So I don't know. It, it feels mm-hmm. it feels uneven. So to me, 
Um, uh, the first time I read it, I was frustrated because it felt like one whole long story of missed opportunities. Because for, among other things, I do have a certain feeling of if you see dread killing people, like the way the story has trained us is more or less it's it's quote unquote for a good reason. Right. And there's also chapters where you've seen Dredd kill people and then at a certain point he shows up and and at the, the door of a black youth who has won the prize to go on the Mars trip and is um, Dredd basically is pursues him takes him on, you know, is like, here, I'm here to cure you. You've got to take this pill. Like, you know, after questioning him carefully, if he's had contact with anyone else, he's basically like, take this pill. Um, and, and, you know, basically you're, you know, the kid's like, if I take it, I'm free to go. He's like, just take it. And he takes it and he's like, okay, goodbye. So the kid then dies violently because the pill that he's been given is is a form of, of violent poison that more or less eats him from the inside out and dread says i'm really sorry now for me this is a very strange section because you've already seen dread kill other people like there is to me no inherent drama or tension really in a way in the scene it's not even really surprising if you think about but, it but isn't the so, purpose of the scene supposed to be that you think dread is letting him off again it's not surprising in the larger scheme of things because dread has killed at this point three other people right so my thing is is like at in what world do you think that this kid is going to 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 be let off for that matter why would you even in part because of the way that you like in the first chapter it's the the first murder that you see that the detectives are investigating is somewhat ambiguous the figure has just been in an acid bath you literally see the family gunned down at the front door and dragged into the acid bath at the end of the first chapter so to me there's really no it's presented in such a way that you don't really think like, oh, there's there's a way out. There's an option out of this. You yeah. know what I mean? So the weird the weird part for me is is the presence of what dread's dread's purpose in the story is weirdly dark, but the story itself somehow ends up being strangely anti climactic and as you point out there is a because you're never in dread's head the story is told through the point of the view of one of the detectives investigating the murder who gets closer and closer and eventually is able to confront dread so i got i gotta tell you i think that this story is either a misfire or it's literally john wagner's masterpiece <laughs> because i think the other thing that drives me crazy about the exterminator is how we have seen degrees of Wagner's cinephilia pop up in throughout the decades mm -hmm. of dread. It's never been as weirdly and clumsily on the nose as it is in this story where 
people are like, wow, it's just like the Terminator. He looks just like the Terminator. Hey, did you see that guy who looks like the Terminator? He's moving well, through the streets which, like Which is amazing because he doesn't look like the Terminator. Like, no. in fact, one the, of... he is. This story is the Terminator. Someone comes back from the future to change the past and in the process kills lots of people and is seen as a threat by the people in, in the present day. But Dredd doesn't look like the Terminator and everyone keeps saying that he does. Like, is right. that an and it's very is he supposed weird. to look like the Terminator and they just drew him as regular dread? So, so Graham, I mean, this is the other thing. This is 1994. You are months away from a movie in which you're having dread played by Sylvester Stallone, not Arnold Schwarzenegger. You know what I mean? Like, there is so much, there's such a weird, like, is Wagner just taking the piss? Is he biting the hand that feeds him? Is he not crazy about Stallone? Does he want to wind everyone up by repeatedly <laughs> pointing to Dredd as Schwarzenegger? Like, instead of Stallone? Like, the one thing that would all but be guaranteed to, to push Sylvester Stallone's pissy prima donna buttons? You know, is it just a test to see if Stallone or anyone is reading the magazine? Except there's a few other things that are going on in this, too, which I think is weird, which is a huge reliance on the movie Alien, which is also incredibly um, super on the nose-ish. The space crew of the Pan Astra go into space to Mars, supposed to be a, 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 a you know, commercial business pleasure trip and come across a dead alien body. And in the course of looking at it and cutting it open, a, a horrible parasite emerges and infects people. During the course of watching the film that the detectives are allowed to watch because they are um, on this case where it seems like every all of the people being violently murdered were on this space cruise. They are seeing the video and one of the detectives is sitting there saying like, wow, Ridley Scott, eat your heart out. And again, it's, it's, we, it's weirdly, um, all weirdly tone deaf to me for Wagner in ways that is not his usual bag. So if you if you if you if you want to if you if you want to do the dark dance, Graham, and indulge my theory, I think that I have come up with the stretchiest of it's a stretch. Please do about it. the exterminator. Okay, so I think that there's a case to be made that the exterminator is a nine-part story about science fiction and more specifically the science fiction that has ceased to exist that has been killed off and terminated by an entirely different genre of science fiction and dreads role in essentially popularizing that. So, which is to say, 
that Alien and the, the Terminator are these really old movies in a way for Wagner to be riffing on and 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 you know pinning naming calling out so specifically cuz I'm like dude this is really tired for 1995 I think Wagner himself might actually agree with that like there is an entire series since the story is set in 2001 mm-hmm. now 2001 a space odyssey is also set in 2001 in that epic cinematic epic man travels to the stars and meets his greater destiny you know that is a whole direction of super serious science fiction that is that is more or less moved to and more or less squeezed shut by the appearance of star wars but i think wagner's thesis is more to the point that what kills it off is alien and what we end up with after alien is science fiction of the terminator style school which is to say science fiction with action movie tropes and also people being killed off with some brutality the sort of thing that you see in terminator predator terminator 2 predator 2 um you know a whole bunch of an entire genre of movies that come out so essentially you see dread come back and among other things he blows up a space shuttle like he literally blows up the panastra space thing you know in part because he has to so that such that they have a future the weird flip side of this is to me wagner saying like why why this why did why did we go from the shift of 2001 a space odyssey to 2001 the exterminator where instead of mankind embracing the stars and traveling to the skies um do we instead end up with this entire form of more violent brutal kind of cyberpunky science fiction the the answer for wagner is uh we and this is where you're going to be like okay jeff you're putting too much thought into this uh racism endemic america's endemic racism there's a lot of the exterminator that is centered around riots happening in Harlem. Um, And some of the scenes that what's really interesting is dread is shown off killing and shooting black people, uh, including killing the one person who goes black person in space, essentially. Um, as well as killing off uh, blonde-haired, blue-eyed families. Mm-hmm. Like, most of the other people that Dredd kills off are are noticeably pretty damn blonde. Um, my thesis is, is that Wagner, that the exterminator is about, potentially, because America is a racist, has to be a racist police state, 
there is no way that they we will allow ourselves to transcend our situation and move into space in part because our fear of the parasite and the fear of the parasite, the fear of the other that infects us and destroys us from within is uh, to for white people in America, black people in America. So the racial unrest that you see in the exterminator that is that has no real cause associated to it like there was a reference like i was like oh yeah is this about the 60s because i'd heard about the phrase you know the the summer riots of the 60s and the long hot summer i did just a little bit of cursory research which is to say a, a google search or two and what i didn't really realize was the long hot summer was essentially talking about how a, a lot of white America feared, experts in white America feared that their social unrest was going to lead to an extended period of rioting in America. And in fact, in 67, that's more or less what America got, where there were extended riots in a lot of major American cities. There are some people, some scientists and some experts who've talked about whether or not hot weather leads to urban unrest. And what they concluded was, yeah, sort of, but usually only in mitigating circumstances where essentially the inner city is already um, at the end of their patience. And the reason for that, of course, is usually and inevitably the killing of black youth by the police. Mm -hmm. So I think it's really interesting that The Exterminator is a science fiction story in which Dredd comes back and kills a black youth and you have a riot and you see a space shuttle blow up. Um, and all of it feels, as I think it should be, very unsatisfying because i think what wagner is doing possibly is presenting a a critique of why we're at the state that we're at in 1995 which is with glorified action heroes blowing one another away and that's science fiction and not the utopian version and i think that it's possible that wagner is aware that again it's because America is fucked up and America is fucked up in part because of the racist police. The end. I like that theory a lot. I think there are, I'm not, I, I'm not sure I buy it. And I don't think I buy it for a couple of reasons. One of which is honestly, I think how, how can I put this? I want to say a nice way of saying, I think Wagner is just racist enough to not really be aware of that thinking. And, and I and I think that his previous work has shown that, but also, uh, I I suspect that like the riots were in there because of the LA riots that were like a couple of years before. Yes, no, absolutely, and in fact, I think one of the, I think the youth killed by dread is some something like Rodney Goodson or something like that. Yeah, you know, so yeah, no, I I I do think that. I think that you're right, but I do think the riots are on uh, 
are on Wagner's mind for that reason. But again, those riots didn't come out of no, nowhere. No, of course, it of course, just, it is, but I, I guess, unquote, I guess what I'm saying is like, you know? I'm not sure Wagner was necessarily, and I, I might be doing him an incredible disservice here, but I'm not sure Wagner was necessarily thinking about the societal causes of those riots per se. I don't right. think that. Mm-hmm just particularly would be very much in his wheelhouse uh mm-hmm. again because he's of a certain age and honestly he's of a nationality do you know what i mean like he's, he's mm-hmm. i i i think it's interesting i think it's particularly interesting when you think about what has happened to policing since i think it's a nice mm-hmm. thing to read into it i'm just not particularly sure that it is it is there but but at the well, time, no. I have to tell Sorry. you, if Wagner had not written uh, Democracy, um, I don't think that I would ever believe it. You know, the fact that he's got that he had told a story in which a democratic riot, uh, a democratic protest is squelched by the police, you know, very deliberately um, to me suggests that Wagner is when he wants to be um very cognizant of the role of the police no i i think he is the, yes do. but i think he's looking at it from a british point of view which is more class driven than race driven you know mm-hmm. i th- i think mm-hmm. the, the the more obvious place to look for inspirations real world inspirations for democracy are things like the miners strike you know or the poll tax riots mm-hmm. i mean particularly the poll tax riots are basically contemporaneous with him writing democracy than than mm-hmm. anything along the lines of the LA riots you know mm-hmm. and, and so well dem- yes agreed with democracy so I, anyway. so I, I democracy think, I think to me on some level he yeah. is agree he is he would agree with you about the 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 role of the police and uh that he that he is aware that uh, for whatever better way of putting it the police are a problem Right, the the police are there to set up mm-hmm. to support an existing power structure as opposed to to uphold the law or at least uh, uphold justice. Right, I think I think he would agree mm-hmm. with you on that, but I think he's coming at it from a different place that you are. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, which could I, be I, I could absolutely be wrong. Be I just case, I'm yeah. thinking, I'm thinking about Wagner's not great history of of uh, race. Oh, completely. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm also thinking yeah. about the fact that, again, he's a man of a certain age in Britain at a certain time. You know, mm-hmm. like I, I can see more obvious inspirations for him and more obvious references for him uh, than, mm-hmm. than what you're talking about. I wonder, though, going off of what you're talking about, what does it mean to you that so many of the characters in this story are black? You know, like, for example, mm-hmm. the, one of the policemen is black, uh, you know, yes. the, in addition to to the 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 kid he kills, in addition to the rioters. You know, you're mm-hmm. the main character, of the, the, the narrator of the strip is yes. black. Like, what what does that mean? Like, does does that into your theory yeah. or not? Because part of me is tempted, I think I think it does. OK, because I was going to say part mm-hmm. of me is also tempted to say that, like, it's literally just him understanding that you know that's that's the racial makeup of the world well i mean i i I think that there's a lot so there there's a couple of things that again to me exterminator 
is frustrating enough to me that I had to spend some time sitting down and thinking, trying to think about sort of the why Wagner makes some of the choices that he makes. Like the very first page, it's New York. He mentions that it's 2001. One of the things he mentions is the son of the son of Sam. Yes. Which on the one hand is kind of amusing, but to me is you have a very deliberate shout out to the past. And the weird part is I kind of had this weird feeling of like, it would actually, to me, be more clever if Dread had gone back not to 2001, but more or less to 78 to New York, more or less when he debuted, you know, and you see him interact with the police and the world of then. To me, I was like, oh, yeah, okay, so he just doesn't go that way. That's fine. But I did find myself being like, there's a lot of shit that is strangely convoluted here for, um, for like, it's like, there's too much, there's so much work that's put in that it's like, okay, why does it sort of tend to fall apart in pieces or places? Like, why such a weird convoluted way to come up with? a reason for dread to come back and start killing people as, you know, a, like a space cruise, you know, and then on top of that, have a space cruise situation where, where you more or less have to draw dread into Harlem. Like, is that just so that you can have like an easy, um, thrust of action through the middle chapters like dread versus rioters you I, know and him being you know trying to chase figures over rooftops as opposed to the relatively oh i'm showing up at, at somebody who a well-heeled house and now i'm just gonna shoot him in the gut you know the, the, the harlem it, sequence in other words not yeah. the not the kitty kills but the grandfather is fascinating to me and i think like support yeah. your theory in a way that honestly nothing else does. I, yes. I, I think that yeah, because where, where one the, of the, the grandfather things... basically talks about mm -hmm. no, he won a contest. Of course, he's never going to get there otherwise. Like the, uh, what do you yes. expect? Like he's he's a kid from Harlem. He's a black kid from Harlem. He was, how else yeah. is he ever going to get in a spaceship? Is right. really does support your theory? Yeah, and I mean, there's there's also a thing where he says relatively in i think in that same scene which is pretty um uh you know the the grandfather says whole world's gone to hell and dread says yes i'm afraid it doesn't get any better you know and he's you know dread you know that that is the that is sort of the thesis statement of the story like it's not good in this particular present, not present thing that Wagner is talking about. And Dredd openly acknowledges that it gets worse, you know? And I do think that there's a little bit of a moment of the why of it. Like, the, if nothing else, there is a weird why. This is, this is not 
this is not Wagner's first time at the time travel. Rodeo, no, he's actually been there front of it in at fact, this point. The last volume had two. Exactly. Stories. He has Dread come back to, quote unquote, the past, our present, you know, and it, for for in in ways that feel like Wagner's aware that there's something that he's trying to say there. And I do think I'd be curious to see maybe I'm wrong. And there's a bunch of, you know, there's more time travel shenanigans for Dredd in the future. It wouldn't surprise me if this is where Dredd's like where Wagner's like, yeah, this this is it. This is this is what I wanted to say, that the that the that the present is the way that it is because of the past, you know, and and literally this thing that everyone thought was more or less just kind of the way things were is is going to be the thing that eats us up from the inside. So, I mean, on the one hand, I think you're right. Like you but well, the one thing I do want to say, Graham, is like you said, Wagner is a is a certain type of person and from a certain type of age. I want to say that there is like you can almost inevitably count on racism from a white person who thinks that they are not. Oh yeah, racist, yeah, yeah. Entirely. You know because they know because they know what's going on. Like particularly in comics, you see so much racism from guys who think that they are uh, enlightened about it, and therefore it's okay for them to to use you know, racial pejoratives and epithets and even, you know, light comical comedic stereotyping because they don't mean anything by it, you know? So, and yet still turn around and talk about and talk very devotedly about, you know, to, to step outside the realm of this podcast for a moment, you know, talk about the importance of X-Men as a metaphor for, racial situations in America, for example. No, 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 you're you're definitely right. Um, One thing I want to say. Yeah. So one thing I want to say else about this is you just said, you know, this isn't the first time Weichner has used time travel. It's also not the first time they've written a Terminator story. City of the Damned is essentially Mm -hmm. the first Terminator. Where they go into Mm -hmm. the future Mm -hmm. to, to, you know, basically find out what the problem is so they can solve it in the present day. Right. Thank you. I mean, there was a weird, like, I was getting a lot of vibes from this of like, wait, this isn't even the only time he's done this weird, like, time travel loop, you know, kind of like, oh, we did the thing and it it literally heals us at the last minute because it never happened thing. I don't know. Maybe that's just such a trope. But but, the, but again, like, in City of Zam, that's not what happens. Dread is blind in the future and mm-hmm. comes back and he's still blinded. Even well, though yes. they undo the no, thing. No, I know. Uh, yeah. Right, right, right. That's a good point. Whereas here, I don't know. So yeah, there's Wagner, time travel. Maybe that's just a thing. Sort of in the way that in the vo- in this volume, we have at least one, you know, again, one of Jeff's favorite 2000 AD tropes, like the big truck going out of control and causing major traffic accidents. It is It is one know. of your favorite you things. Think? It's true. <laughs> 
Well, even that had me thinking. I'm like, is, that, is he trying to say something about America with that? Anyway, so the term, the exterminator is a weird story where if I give Wagner the benefit of the doubt, I think it's one of the best things that he's ever done. Um, and yet it seems a little over generous when there's so much more that can be attributed to... Um, you know, just uh, the unfortunate regular confluence of um, deadlines and havoc and poor editing. Yeah, the, and, yeah. and just a weird... Yeah, but weirdly to me, essentially, the, this, the Exterminator is the closest we get to John Wagner writing a Herman Melville story, which is to say where the either the frustration is the point or... It's in it. It's not. It's. It makes some really extremely poor storytelling choices. The end. It can't be both. Yeah, I guess. I guess. I mean, maybe. I mean, that's the thing. It doesn't read like the best thing that Wagner's ever written, and and to but, me, that's kind of feels, uh, like, oh, I don't know. It feels interesting. I don't know. It, it, oh, like, completely. I, I, I do. I'm weirdly compelled by it. I di- really didn't like it the first time mm-hmm. I read it. I really didn't like it. I thought mm-hmm. it was, I could only see the flaws and I thought it was so out of the ordinary that I felt it meandered. And then the second time I was reading it, it clicked entirely. Mm. I, I, I don't, you know, 180 degree reversal. And mm-hmm. so I also don't know what to make about that. Cause you know, that's when I, when that happened with, with Wilderons, the third time I read it, I was like, no, it is shit after all. So, so, you know, <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, the exterminator is just one read away from being crossed off. Schrodinger's comic. Um, but no, it, it's <laughs> it is. You know, I'm I'm going to sort of bring it back for a second because we're heading towards two hours, so I want to close it down. Like the exterminator is by far my yeah. favorite thing in this book, by far. Mm-hmm. And I think it's it it's it's the most interesting. But also, it's the most mm-hmm. ambitious, and I really appreciated seeing the 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 traditions just just thrown away. No, I I, mm-hmm. I I really really appreciated that. I loved that a lot. So yeah, mm-hmm. I'm I I liked it, and and it's a big part, especially when you add it to the candidates and voting day. It's a big part of why I think this this volume worked for me a lot better. I didn't feel this volume had the lows of the previous volumes. You know, like, so Drock or mm-hmm. this one's Drock for me, easily. I don't know. I think... I don't know. Honestly, if I hadn't thought so much about The Exterminator, I think this volume would have gotten a very frustrated Dross from me. But I think, I think, I'm, I think I'm on track to, to give it a Drock. I would say that this volume is is eh, it's definitely worth reading. Um, but you know, I think you and I clearly are are like you are less frustrated by parts. Well, of it I, than I, I was going to say when you said it's um, worth reading, I was going to say, but it is it is a frustrating read. It yes. is it is a very oh, frustrating absolutely. read because yeah, to me, I, especially it, for yeah. for us slash anyone who's reading along with us, like we're so. We're really not that far away from, you know, just genuinely great stuff. And when mm-hmm. you're reading stuff mm-hmm. that is fine or ambitious mm-hmm. but flawed, 
then then it does feel mm-hmm. a lot more again frustrating it does feel a lot more upsetting to have to deal with a lot of stuff mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. yeah yeah no i think that's it i think i think this i definitely the first time reading through this i was like i don't get it why am i why is there so much Wagner in here and why aren't I liking hardly any of it? Uh, and then on a reread, it was kind of like, oh, well, I mean, maybe. So, yeah, we'll see. It's 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 definitely not the volumes the of dread at its height. But I do think that there's a lot to be said where it's both dread and Wagner trying out some new moves. And that's incredibly encouraging to see, right? There, there's, there's, there's yeah. a lot to like here. Even if, even if you don't think this is a great book, there's a lot to like here. <laughs> there's a lot to like here, even if you don't like it. That would be my favorite <laughs> review. Do you want to know what's funny? I just looked ahead while we were talking at uh, Case Files Twenty Three, which we're doing next month. And do you know what the first story mm-hmm. from the magazine in there is? What Whatever is happened to Bill Clinton? Ah! Fabulous! That's great. He I'm glad it comes back. Yeah, over, over, like mm-hmm. putting it far, too, far more seriously and intently than he means to. I'm not very excited. Well, I'm certainly curious. <laughs> I, you know, it's funny because I really had that moment where if if the Bill Clinton thing had never come back again, that would have been fine for me because it felt like a very funny form of commentary. That again, I think is happening at the wrong time, I guess, really. Because as you pointed out, I think these are stories from 93, 94. And I, for me anyway, maybe it's maybe it was different for people in the UK, but 95, which is more or less around the time the Monica Lewinsky stuff drops, is, uh, is the point where you're like, oh, shit. You know, like the mask is off, and maybe, maybe that's maybe I'm wrong. Did the did the Monica Lewinsky stuff happen in '94, and I'm completely wrong in my timeline? Uh, I I don't know. know. Look it up. Do I have to look this up? Let me see here. Sorry, everyone. '95. She worked at White House okay. from '95 to '96. Mm, mm-hmm. and right, and then it, it came, came out '97. It looks like. No, ninety-eight. What? Yeah. What? No, that's not I, right. Well, oh, that fight, is right. Right. You're right. No, no, no. You're right. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I got it confused. Because the reason, right? Sorry. So yes, it's far too present. Because what I would say is there was a very specific disappointment to B- Bill Clinton that I experienced that seemed to mirror this uh, story. That I think was just merely prescient, which is to say that that once Clinton won re-election, he more or less ran out and started an affair that all but guaranteed that we would never get a third Democratic term, you know, um, and just an act of unbelievable selfishness. So the idea that Clinton was shown to be, you know, had his brain swapped with like, an alien sociopathic Yahoo was, I was like, Oh yeah, no, that's really on brand for Clinton, but not 94. So unless he like 
screwed over the UK and something, you know, I'm I just my hats off to them. Yeah, that, uh, that Graham, is, is there anything? One, that's just one story of of so many more that's coming. There's also a new Make McMahon in the next volume as well. Oh, yeah, really? which I'm looking forward to. There is a lot of Wagner, but guess what? There's also mm-hmm. the return of Pat Mills and the return of Garth Ennis. Oh, oh, ah. I've got so many mixed feelings. You know, I have to say, I felt like we did not really talk about the art in this volume. Um, There's things, apart from you mentioning how good that snow panel was, there's a lot of stuff that, uh, there's ones that I thought were great, and there was stuff that I thought was not so great. Like John Burns and uh, Emilio Frigio uh, on The Exterminator do some really great delineation and also some very strange sloppy some sloppy mistakes nothing like the miracle that is seeing ashley wood it's so bad Um, jeff oh ashley wood oh it's amazing i was as someone who who is aware that ashley wood really does go on to become such an international superstar and i was like yeah but he can't tell a story i'm like reading scar and seeing it be like well that was always the case that's kind of a relief like he 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 stuck to his strengths and did not bother working on his flaws at all. Yeah, that was pretty bad. Um, some people were complaining about Kevin Cullen, who did the art for A Very Creepy Christmas, which I thought was excellent. It, honestly, it's really, really thought... reminiscent of David Lloyd's art for me. Yeah, like, you know what it reminded me of? A, a weird mix of, and this is going to sound strange, David Lloyd and John Cassidy. You oh, know? John Cassidy's interesting, um, an interesting influence that I wouldn't have seen. But like the the, the art in this yeah. one, I mean, the Siku art is is on the Bill Clinton thing is is very like sub busily. But for example, yes. Simon Davis yeah. on the Judge Pal is I like Simon Davis's current stuff a lot, a lot, a lot, and you can see mm-hmm. bits of that in the Judge Pal story. But I I wouldn't mm-hmm. say it was overall particularly strong i i did like paul marshall surprisingly in escape from queer Russell. you know it's interesting his stuff was uh, i was so split because he for whatever reason deliberately chose to do a kevin o'neill style of lettering that just got me so excited and then his stuff kind of ran into that like I, I alternated between oh this is good stylized stuff to this is kind of um look the other way so you don't see how poorly i'm drawing dean uh ormston's work on the fall of the house of escher was i thought gorgeous mm-hmm. to me even though the story itself um, was that was appallingly bad uh, yeah, really bad. Not as bad as the one that followed, but really bad. Um, you know, Mick Austin was good. Uh, you know, it, it's it's all... E- even I did not like The Big Sleet. I thought was a damn dull story. But I think Dermot Powers' art on the second two parts of it was 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 pretty good. Like, overall, I feel like I, I felt bad that I was going to not really mention the the art here um while spending so much time here because i think i think honestly um with with the exception of ashley wood there were very few people who walked into this not 
you know, um, half-assing it. I felt like everyone in here was either trying to do to the best of their abilities at the time, you know, God love them, or really were quite good. So um, I, I, I was I was surprisingly fond of the art overall in this volume. Which is interesting because I do feel like volumes where I where it's in the past where it's like oh this is going to get a the the dreaded dross rating for me was very much usually when I think that the art is subpar that it it just kind of mars the storytelling you know or or worst case scenario is also written by Garth Ennis and so therefore is like you know has two strikes against it Jeff it's time to properly wrap things up. Which means that I'm going to tell everyone that there's going to be show notes up on Monday at some point uh, at waitwhatpodcast.com. There will one day be content again at waitwhatpod.tumblr.com and instagram.com forward slash waitwhat. Oh, sorry, it's forward slash waitwhatpod. Um, we are on Twitter at waitwhatpodcast. You are on Twitter at Lizzie Bassett at L E Z Y B A S T I D. And I'm on Twitter at Graham M G R A E M E M. And otherwise, uh, I think this is the part where you tell everyone about the joy that is Patreon. Yes, it is. It is a huge joy. Actually, you guys uh, as listeners are huge joys, I have to say. And uh, it was kind of very lovely to, to, to have one or two little messages um, on our Patreon uh, board from uh, new listeners and established listeners um, just checking in about some things. Um, one of which was like, hey, where's my stuff? Which is well worth checking in on. And uh, um, I, for those of you who don't know, and I don't know how you can't because I uh, ramble about this every episode, um, you know, Drock, uh, our monthly read-through of Judge Dredd, The Complete Case Files, and our previous Baxter Building podcast, which was our read-through of the first 416 issues of the Fantastic Four, are uh, direct results of the support from people on Patreon, throwing us a little bit of their hard-earned dosh such that we hit some stretch goals. And this has been a, a very lovely stretch goal for me to continue to hit over the years. Um, uh, being able to read and learn and know this much about Dread has been... Uh, been a real adventure in all the best ways, even when I'm somewhat dubious about a particular uh, the quality of a particular volume. We're just really grateful for your support. Um, should mention Empress Audrey, Queen of the Galaxy, her continuing support of this podcast, as well as the cosmos itself manages to keep us all more or less kept aloft on gossamer wings of hope. Graham? What a poetic way of putting it, Jeff. I, 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 I like the way, I like the new, the new era you've entered into where it's not entirely apocalyptic. There's gossamer rings of hope. Yes. Yeah. I feel, I feel it's worth mentioning. Uh, Let, let's, let's all embrace those gossamer rings of hope, everyone. Uh, <laughs> we will be back next week with a oh, wait what, but because this is a drug, Jeff sings us up. Oh, that's right. Yes. So speaking of gossamer wings of hope, Drock, you're under arrest, citizen. Report to the Isocubes, and we'll see you in 30.